Okay, just going to start off with a little something here. A country farmer and his boy ventured to the big city for the first time. And they were amazed by almost everything they saw, but especially by two shiny silver walls that could move apart and go back together again. And the boy asked his father, what is this father? The father, never having seen an elevator before, responded, son, I have never seen anything like this in my life. I don't know what it is. And while the boy and his father were watching wide-eyed, an old lady limping slightly with a cane slowly walks up to the moving walls and presses a button. The walls opened, and the lady walks between them into a small room. And the walls closed, and the boy and his father watched. Small circles of light with numbers above the wall light up. And they continue to watch the circles light up in the reverse direction. The walls opened up again, and a beautiful 24-year-old woman stepped out. And with great enthusiasm, the father said to his son, Boy, go get your mama. <laughs> Anyways. I, I saw the word enthusiasm there. <laughs> And that's, that's in our message this morning, <laughs> enthusiasm. But it doesn't hurt to have the laugh. So this morning, we'll be using the New King James Version in our scripture, and we'll be looking at Genesis, Exodus, and 1 Samuel when we get there. Okay? But Genesis chapter 22 is the first one. When God calls your name, Hearing your name called can cause mixed reactions. On the one hand, there is the rush of exhilaration you feel when you're sitting on the bench and your coach calls your name. Now, on the other hand, there is the feeling of dread that comes over you when you're sitting in the back of the classroom trying to avoid eye contact, hoping that the teacher doesn't call your name. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> How would you respond if God called your name not once, but twice? In the Bible, God calls plenty of people, often by name. But there are times when God calls out someone's name twice in a row. In each instance, God wants, even demands, the attention of the person he is calling out to. And what follows is almost always a life-changing encounter with the God of creation. Mm. Now, repeating a person's name is a Hebrew expression of intimacy. And the exclamation point after some of them indicates an exclamation or excitement. The Lord uses the double situation at a time and in a situation when it was urgent for something to be said or taught that was of the utmost importance. Now the first person God calls is Abraham. When he says to him in Genesis chapter 22, verses 2 and 3. That's chapter 22, verses 2 and 3. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, we have the benefit of knowing how this story ends, don't we? We know that God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son, but Abraham didn't know that. Now the fact that God literally spoke out of heaven commanding him to do this, can you imagine what Abraham must have been going through? Abraham has given up everything to follow God. He has already left his home in the land of Ur. He packed up his family and everything he owned because God spoke to him and told him to move to the land of Canaan. And God promised to bless Abraham and assured him that he and Sarah would have a son. Now back in chapter 15, verse 5, God brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now only God can count the stars. And we find that in Psalm 147, verse 4, and Isaiah 40, verse 26. But the saying means that the descendants of Abraham would be innumerable. I have trouble sometimes with these words. Me too. Innumerable. Abraham trusted God, and God always proved faithful to him. But now, that trust was being put to the test. Despite his heartache and confusion, Abraham trusted and obeyed God. He led Isaac up the mountain, tied up his son, placed him on the altar, and raised the knife. And that's when God calls out to him in verses 11 and 12, Abraham, Abraham, that has an exclamation mark after you have your Bibles. Do you see that? Everybody says. And so Abraham said, here I am. And God said, do not lay a hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now certainly, God knew ahead of time how this event would end. But in these words, God stood beside Abraham, experiencing each moment with him, and applauding his complete trust in him. In essence, God asked Abraham, are you willing to let go of the one thing you love more than anything in order to follow me? God called Abraham to remind him that God must come first in his life. Amen. And our life too. Amen. Now the next person God calls by name twice is Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Jacob. And this takes place in Genesis chapter 46. I'll just let you get there. Genesis 46, and we're going to be reading verses 2 to 4. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. 
Another exclamation mark. And he said, here I am. And so he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you back again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes, meaning that Joseph was alive and would care for him until his dying day. Now, Jacob is now a very old man with children and grandchildren of his own. And 23 years ago, 11 of his sons faked the death of his youngest son, Joseph. And they came home from the fields one day carrying a bloody coat, claiming that wild animals had ate him. And they actually sold Joseph into slavery. That's where he ended up. Now, during those 23 years, through God's providence and protection, Joseph went from a slave in Potiphar's house to ruler of all Egypt, only second in command to the Pharaoh. Now, meanwhile, a famine sweeping across the land forces Joseph's family to seek food in Egypt. And after a tearful reunion, Joseph forgives his brothers and reveals that he's been living in Egypt all this time. And he tells them to go home to get the whole family, including their father Jacob, and bring them all to Egypt, where he and God can look after them and provide for them. And so his brothers rush home and confess everything to their elderly father. Now, try to put yourself in Jacob's shoes. His sons just admitted to lying about Joseph's death. And now they are telling him that Joseph is not only alive, but he is the second most powerful man in Egypt. At first, Jacob didn't know what to believe. But eventually, he decides to make the journey to Egypt to see Joseph for himself. But something holds him back. Now, the Bible doesn't say what the problem was. But it says that it drove Jacob to seek God. He made a sacrifice to the Lord, sought him out in prayer and worship, and then waited for God's reply. In verse 3, after calling Jacob's name twice to ensure that he had Jacob's full attention, four words reveal the condition of Jacob's heart. Do not be afraid. Jacob was afraid. Fear kept Jacob from taking the next step in his journey. And fear often does the same for us today, right? It does me. God, but God takes our fears seriously. And he wants us to overcome them. Amen. We'll put an exclamation mark there. So how do you feel, how do you and I overcome our fears? The answer lies in God's message to Jacob in verses 3 and 4. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will go down with you to Egypt. So God is telling us that, uh, us that an awareness of his presence ought to purge our hearts of fear and saturate us with strength and courage. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, Moses told Joshua, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And in Joshua 1, verse 9, God himself repeats the instruction, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20, David said that to his son Solomon, Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And in Isaiah 43, verse 5, God said it again to the people of Judah. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. In Psalm 118, verse 6, the psalmist knew it. The Lord is with me, so I will not be afraid. Now in the end, Jacob responded in faith instead of fear. He packed up all his belongings, his family, all his possessions, everything and went to Egypt and experienced a heartwarming reunion with Joseph. And he lived a long and peaceful life in the land of Goshen. And most importantly, God was with him wherever he went. Amen. Now the same can be true of us. If we'll learn to trust in God's presence and power and plan for our lives, we may never become fearless but we can certainly fear less. I like those things. We may never become fearless, but we can certainly fear less. God called Jacob in order to calm his fears and assured him that he is always with him. Now the third person God called by name twice is Moses. Now this is in Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> I still hear pages rattling. I'll wait. That's okay. <laughs> well, it's important to look up God's Word. And by the way, this message that I've given out this morning is speaking to me. Because I need this. Mm. We all probably do, but I know I need this. <laughs> okay. In Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we read, <clears throat> Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the burning bush and said, Moses, Moses, another exclamation mark. Just notice there's only one in each one of these so far, right? 
Both mystified and astonished, Moses said to him, Here I am. Now, once God had Moses' full and undivided attention, he shared a message that would change the course of Moses' life. And first God tells Moses in verse 7, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their suffering. 400 years earlier, Jacob and all his children and grandchildren moved to Egypt to be with Joseph in relative safety. Generations passed and the Hebrews multiplied. And eventually a new pharaoh came to power who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done for Egypt. He saw the Hebrews as a threat. And so he used them in forced labor, making bricks for the great Egyptian monuments. Despite crushing labor and cruel slave drivers, the Hebrews continued to thrive and multiply. So Pharaoh, back in chapter 1, verse 22, ordered the slaughter of every baby boy born to the Hebrews. And that brings us to Moses, right? We're not going to get into that this morning, but remember how Moses was saved? Okay. So many times... They must have wondered, where is God? Does he even know or care what's happening to us? Now isn't that something we all wonder about at times? When we look at all the tragedy and suffering in our world, don't you sometimes wonder in the back of your mind, is God paying any attention? When you're in the midst of some crisis or hurt, you may think, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody feels the pain that I'm experiencing. But God knows. Amen. And there's an exclamation mark. He wanted Moses and us to know he sees our suffering. <clears throat> he knows your feelings and frustrations. He's seen the crisis in your soul. There's no hurt that goes unnoticed by God. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 56, verse 8, I'll read that from the message, you've kept, kept track of my every toss and turn through sleepless nights. Each tear entered in your ledger, each ache written in your book. God not only sees <clears throat> excuse me, our suffering, he sympathizes. That's another exclamation mark. Psalm, 103, <clears throat> excuse me. Psalm 103, verse 13, in the NIV says, <clears throat> this is due to that air conditioner, right? <clears throat> As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Because God knows our frustrations and despair, we can give those feelings to God. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, he invites us to do just that. I'll read that from the New Living Translation. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. But God doesn't just see and sympathize with our suffering. He wants us, he wants to do something about it. And that's where you and I come in. 
And we'll get that in a moment. Now, continuing God's conversation with Moses, he says in verses 9 and 10, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. <coughs> God had a solution to the Hebrews' suffering. It was Moses. And God has a solution for today. It's you and me. God created you and I to make a difference, to do something. He's called each one of us to make the world a better place. And he's given us the same responsibility that he gave to Moses. In Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4, God commands us to give justice to the poor and the orphan, uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute, rescue the poor and helpless, and deliver them from the grasp of evil people. And Jesus put it simply in Matthew 22, verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> I just got a frog in there. I drank orange juice before I came, and I shouldn't have. But anyway. We are living in devastating times. And I won't go into detail. We all know what they are today. People starving everywhere. Oh, anyways. We're living in devastating times. In the midst of it all, we stand thinking, well, what can I do? Moses responded the same way. He didn't jump at the chance to become Israel's deliverer, did he? Instead, he made excuses. God, you've got the wrong person. I'm a nobody. The people won't believe me. I stutter when I speak. Lord, please send someone else. And we've all got a list of excuses too. But God's commandments are his enablement for us. God not only answered each excuse Moses gave, but he empowered Moses to perform mighty miracles in order to accomplish his task. There goes that buzzer, I'm done, I guess. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, <laughs> I want to continue. <laughs> God... <clears throat> gives each one of us talents and abilities that can be used to help the suffering of others. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, says, reading from the NLT, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So what kind of gifts has God given to us? And Paul answers that question in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. And I'll read that from God's Word translation. God in His kindness gave each of us different gifts. If your gift is speaking God's Word, make sure that what you say agrees with the Christian faith. If your gift is serving, then devote yourself to serving. If it is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If it is encouraging others, vote, devote yourself giving encouragement. If it is sharing, 
Be generous. If it is leadership, lead enthusiastically. If it is helping people in need, help them cheerfully. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. When we use the gifts that God has given us, we begin to make a difference in the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I'll read that from the New King James. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, that we may be able to comfort others when they are troubled, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now remember, <clears throat> remember this, whatever struggles you're going through, you are not the first person to go through it, and you won't be the last. And who better to help others than you? Amen. Out of the burning bush, God called Moses to tell him, I see the suffering of my people, and so I am sending you. Reluctantly, nervously, Moses answered the call and became part of one of the greatest epics in biblical history. So what might happen if you answer God's call? I'm going to get a sip of water. <clears throat> oh, it's just annoying. <laughs> and I don't want it to be annoying to you. Now, the fourth person God calls by name twice is Samuel. And Samuel's mother was Hannah, who prayed and asked God for a son in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, promising that if God did indeed give her a son, that she would give him back to God. And God answered her prayer and blessed her with the birth of Samuel. Now, Hannah kept the vow she made to the Lord. When Samuel was about seven years old, she brought him to live in the temple and be raised as a Levite dedicated to serving God. And Samuel was trained to be a priest by a man named Eli. Now as the story goes, <clears throat> one night after Samuel had gone to bed, beginning at verse four in chapter three, are we there? Close, right? One night after Samuel had gone to bed, beginning at verse 4, chapter 3, we read that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. <clears throat> and so he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know yet the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am for you did call me. 
Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Now the Lord came and stood and called it <clears throat> as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, two exclamation marks this time. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Now what followed was a prophetic promise that would radically impact Eli and his family, and the content of which is not nearly as important as the simple fact that God spoke to Samuel and Samuel listened. You see, this chapter <coughs> 3 starts off by reminding the reader in verse 1 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Another translation says, in those days, the Lord did not speak directly to the people very often. In a time when people rarely hear from God, a boy asleep in the temple hears a voice calling him in the middle of the night, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel's life would never be the same. After this night, Samuel becomes the mouthpiece of God to a nation, a prophet, a judge, and a priest. And this would be the first of countless conversations between Samuel and God. It's all because Samuel took Eli's advice and actively listened to God. So I wonder how many times God has spoken to us and we were not listening. I wonder how many times he had something specific we needed to hear, but we were too preoccupied to pay attention. The Bible says in Job 33, verse 14, reading from the New Living Translation, for God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. Now, isn't that something? We need to have the heart of David, who wrote in Psalm 85, verse 8, I listen carefully to what the Lord is saying. That's David speaking. The Lord's primary way of speaking to us today is through his word. The Bible is the unfolding truth of God, by God, about God. Whenever we have a problem or a question for God, we can open our Bibles and invite God to speak to us. And God will often lead us to a story in scripture or a passage or even a single verse that will relate to our situation. And if we will listen, actively listen, God will speak to us. To be continued. I love that. To be continued. Shall we pray? Father God, Lord, let us see you. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. 
We invite you to come into us and fill us with your spirit. Show us, Lord, what our gifts are. Empower us, Lord, with your spirit and word to use those gifts for your purpose. To glorify you here in the church and in the world beyond. Lord, let none of the words that you give us fall to the ground. May they be blessed and bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.